<laughs> That's funny. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 18 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Wonderful. Well, happy day to you, Matt Rice. How's it going? That was a boring introduction. We didn't do any kind of announcer voice or anything like that. Come on, Chris. <laughs> Show me your best Elmo or Mickey Mouse voice. We got a friend that can do a wicked Mickey Mouse voice. I don't I don't have anything like that. Do you remember Bobby from like like Hello, Bobby's my World? Name is Bobby. And yes. I like to do Howie Mandel is the one that voiced Bobby <laughs> from Bobby's World. I had a poster of Bobby's World in my room when I grew up as a child. He was a uh, he had his finger up his nostril and he said, I'm not picking my nose. I'm pointing at my brain. Yep. And so that's the like, I don't know if I actually can do Bobby's voice, but in my head, I think I can. So that was my Bobby voice. Oh, isn't that the worst when you hear your yeah. voice and you're like, oh, that's what I sound like? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good. I, I get made fun of all the time by the people I work with because I cannot do accents in any way, shape, or form. If I try an accent, it may sound good for a word, but then the rest of it is just awful. Everyone can do Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do it. <laughs> no, I can't. It's 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 awful. Do it. Do it. I'll do something later. I'll catch you off guard. I'll I'll catch you off guard with something. Get to the chopper. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Um, about two years ago, Matt and I were blessed to be able to go out to a historic event, the U.S. Bishop Synod, and they hadn't had a United States Bishop Synod in over twenty five years at that point. It might have been longer, Matt. Do you remember kind of the details on that? No, Anyways. I didn't realize it had been that long. It was huge, and it was out in uh, in Orlando, Florida, and I. it was like Matt found a side door to get us in. It was such a Matt Rice moment to where it's like, hey, this is a big deal, and ministry leaders, it's important to them, so let's go. And so we did. They talked about three major things that they wanted to accomplish in regards to the dialogue, and it was much like probably how this podcast is going to be. Not a lot of answers, but a lot of dialogue surrounding an issue, which is important to talk about, right? And so they talked about the youth, the young church. They talked about Hispanics, which is the largest growing demographic in the United States, and then the peripheries. That's what I wanted to talk about today is the peripheries. Pope Francis, soon after his election in 2013, said, how I would like a church that is poor and for the poor. And there was a recent uh, study that came out in Aledia, uh, which is a, a, a publication that talked about... Is it Aledia dis- or is it Alicia? A-L-E-T-I-A? Isn't that what it is? I, I always I always pronounce it Alicia, but then it's like it sounds like you're saying the girl's name. I have no idea. So uh, <laughs> this, this is our interactive part of the show, listeners. If you could message us on uh, on our Facebook group and let us know what it is, A L E T E I A. That's um, it. Because there's a chance that we could both be pronouncing it wrong, and I would dare say a likelihood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I talk- would not be shocked. <laughs> Hello, my friends. This is Taylor, the editor and producer of Ministry Leaders Anonymous. I have a special message from our friends over at that website. Alitia. Alitia? Okay, L. Atletia. Alitia? Altila? L. Alicia. Alitia. Alitia. Aleya. 
Aletia? Aletia? That's right, friends. Both Chris and Matt were wrong. Aletia. 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 Okay. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. It looked at some uh, some demographics, and it broke people into four different class categories in regards to very wealthy, wealthy, or upper middle class, lower middle class, and lower class. And it looked at church attendance. And in the, in the 1970s, the church attendance, the participation of the upper class, and the participation in church life in the lower class, were only there was only a 5% discrepancy. Right. So that it would be like, you know, 30 uh, percent are going uh, from the upper class, 25 percent are going from the lower class. And then they did they did a similar study and found that the discrepancy had doubled. That's interesting. I don't know why I would have assumed it would have been flip flopped. I would have thought that the lower class would have been coming more regularly than the, the upper class. I find that interesting just right. in and of itself. This is it. Yeah. So that's the thing that fascinated me as well. Because if you look at where the church is growing, because the church in America, and dare I say, in most first world countries, I mean, Europe itself is considered post-God, like post-Christian. It's like the first post-Christian nation, you know? And so you look at these areas where wealth and consumerism, capitalism is winning, and the church is losing people, like big time. And then you look at countries like Africa that are having an explosion of vocations, an explosion of... Uh, of church increase. Like overall, our church is growing. It's just not in the United States, you know? And and so you look at poorer areas and you see that the church is actually growing. Yeah, I'd be real interested to know if they uh, if they dove further into why the upper class went more than the lower class. It's just like, I find that really interesting is typically when people have everything going for them or whatever, then they tend to not need God. They're not want God and not to mess with God. You know, even even us have the same kind of thing. Like when things are going well in my life, I don't pray as well. Or I don't pray as much, you know, but when things aren't going really well in my life, I pray like crazy. Yeah, like um, my struggle is the reason that I am dependent on God. That's the reason why I pray. If the struggle goes away, well, then I'm, I'm all right. But then that also like just from my, like that means that I'm looking at this through a different lens as well because then why do I assume that just because they're the lowest income that they don't have everything that they want, you know, because that's that is an assumption that I make. And so maybe they are actually happier as a class of people than the upper class. I mean, think about it. Money money doesn't make you happier. Money doesn't make you more joyful. Sometimes it makes your life even harder and, and worse, right. at least to a certain degree. So I wonder if even some of that plays into this, which uh, anyway, I'd be real interested to know a little bit deeper on that side. But that's not the purpose of this article. That nor, nor this podcast, but, but the point that you just made is an outstanding point in ministry because um, money, we see other ministries that are better funded. We see other ministries that have more resources. Does that make them a better ministry? Does that make them a more effective ministry? Does that make them a, a more fulfilling ministry? And the answer isn't always yes. It is so nice to be able to bring in a national speaker to our youth program. It really is. But it's also expensive, you know, and it's not something that we can do on a regular basis. However, there's programs out there that can't bring a guest speaker at all whatsoever. Does that make their program worse? Yeah, and not even guest speakers. I mean, think about the meal. I mean, you can pay for a five-course meal done by a fancy chef at some of these parishes and it not even like be a dot, you know, with their in their budget. 
but then they don't have what the parish that like mom and dad or the families or the parents scrape together and do a potluck. They don't have the community that exists, you know, to, to come together and make something happen at a, a lower income parish. So I would say, yeah, I mean, and some of them at the you know larger income parish might actually look at those with lower income and say, man, I really wish I had what they had as far as community and the support rather than just someone who writes a check. Right. Another piece is the larger income parishes are able to afford full-time ministry leaders, whereas the lower income parishes typically aren't able to. And so does a parish that has a full-time person do ministry that is better? And I, I want to make the argument that I believe that parishes that have dedicated people to ministries, yes, have more effective ministries because it's about investing. But that doesn't that investment doesn't have to be with financial resources if those aren't at the disposal of the of the parish. Because God does not intend for any parish to have poor catechesis. God does not intend for any person in that parish boundary to not be reached. And so there's a way. And I see in my experience those who don't have money give more of their time. But I also think that giving of your time is more significant than just writing a check. Right, serving the poor is better than giving money to the poor. Actually, going and being with the poor, and I think that's what Pope Francis means in his quote: "How I would like a church that is poor and for the poor." We've been on that tangent for a little while. The purpose of this podcast, though, is to look at attendance, right? And how attendance—the gap has widened. The gap has widened, and it's widened in the sense that uh, fewer poor people are attending than the upper of the four categories, the highest category versus the lowest category. That gap has doubled. It's now ten, a 10% gap instead of just a 5% gap. And the, the question is, is how or why, and what's the implication for us as ministry leaders? Uh, I'm just curious if, if one went down and the other went up a little bit, or if they both went down or like, but one went down more. Like, do you know how that happened? Because I think that actually would, would say a lot to what's going on. From the article, which didn't give a ton of information, it was 35% of those in the bottom bracket never darkened the door of a church. And it actually said those words. It did. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Uh, It was 35%. And that's in 2018. So 35% of those in the lowest income bracket are attending church regularly in America. This is in the United States of America. And so that, that would mean that 45% attend, and I don't know what metrics they use for attend. Is that like more than once a month? Is that every single week? Because it can't be every single week unless this is churches in general, not uh, not the Catholic church. But the, but the idea here is what why is this? What is caused by it? And I think that an argument could be made is there's a possibility that the poor aren't leaving the church. The church is leaving the poor. And I look at that situation where parishes have been shut down or combined in certain areas while they're being built in other areas. And suburbia is growing, at least where I'm at in regards to churches, as suburbia is more stable because suburbia is also wealthier. I lived in Chicago for, for four years, and uh, I, what I got to see was when, I guess, in the, in the heyday you know, of Catholicism in the city, you would have a church every block, you know, or every two blocks, you know, something like that. So ridiculous number of churches that were all culturally based, based on ethnicity, to be honest. Sure. Then when most of the Catholics, like white flight is what they call it, but when, most, when a lot of people moved out 
then they were building churches you know out in the suburbs and then they had six churches within a, a three or four block area it was a ridiculous number of churches concentrated in one area so then you've got to close some but just because you're closing churches in poor areas doesn't mean you're tr- closing all the churches and then they have no church to go to and maybe it's that my like culturally my church got closed like if I'm Polish, you you close the Polish church, right? Um, and so now I now I don't go to church, and I'm among the poorer class. But I don't think any area realistically anymore has the finances to keep up six churches within a, a tight area, you know. And I don't know if this is across the board across the United States, like in the example that was given. But I can't like, and maybe maybe it is that in poor neighborhoods they are closing down churches, and then there's no church for them to go to. That doesn't sound like our church, though. That doesn't sound like the way things have happened. What what I've seen is that they're taking a whole bunch of churches, and then like that are in a certain area, and then going down to one church, and so then it feels like you're closing my church. So in the lowest income bracket, transportation is a major issue. So now you're asking my family to walk five miles to church instead of three miles to church or to take public transportation for another two stops or, or whatever it is. That I mean, that, that, that could become an issue, right? True, but I don't know if that's necessarily that the, the church is leaving the poor. Because, I mean, should the church have like that many churches in that area? Sure. Yeah, and, and, and that's not an unfair unfair argument. So I just saw, I just saw someone argue that point and I thought it was a, a good point to where are we as a church investing resources in the poorest area or are we in a church just looking for churches c- that can sustain themselves? Mm-hmm. And how are we as ministry leaders um, responding to that reality? But what you bring up is a really good point. You know, if you have a church that's in a in a low socioeconomic area, what are you doing to make it easier? for people in that area to make it to mass. Now, you might dive into an argument whether or not that's our job or not as a church to make it easier. You know, like in this consumer society, making people make it easier for people to come to things doesn't necessarily help the situation. But I've seen plenty of Protestant and Baptist vans and buses driving around town picking people up to take them to, to church. What's right. what's wrong with that? You know, yeah. if if that's a if that's a hurdle, if that's a barrier for people coming to mass and we have the means and that that would be the next question is does that church have the means to do something like that um then why not then here's the reality i believe that in everyone's parish every ministry leader that's listening right now there are poor people in your community how do we reach out to them how do we become a church for the poor in our existing uh structures right so some of these some of these issues are bigger than us but at our own parish there's probably someone that's struggling to purchase Christmas gifts for their kids. Someone that just got hit with a medical bill that they have no idea how they're going to crawl out from under. Some of them who might feel um, really unwelcome at the church, maybe because of a recent divorce or something like that. And that's a different type of poverty. But nevertheless, how are we a church for the poor and by the poor in regards to those areas? How do we step into the reality? Because I think that's that's kind of one of the issues is how do we step in to the area, into the situation of those that are in a different class, so to speak, according to the article, right? And serve, but also see and encounter Christ in those areas as well. Because that's the other piece is it's not just that they're not coming as much, it's that they're not also present, Christ present to us. 
And there have been arguments throughout the writings of the saints, throughout history, and throughout church documents that the poor are not just a thing that, oh, it's good for us because it's an opportunity for charity, which I think is kind of a horrible approach to be like, I'm going to use your situation to grow closer to Jesus. But they are also the face of Christ in a way that other areas aren't offering the face of Christ. And so it's important that as ministry leaders that we reach out to the poor, but also that we allow the poor to have a relevant presence, that they have something meaningful at our church because they are children of God that are called, by virtue of their baptism, to serve, to be gift. And I have found that when it comes to those that are uh, less uh, fortunate financially, they are amazing in regards to willingness to give time. They have a place and a space and a heart to be able to share Christ in a way that other people don't see Christ and that's powerful. Have I shared my story of my experience in Chicago, um, in back of the yards when I did ministry there? Have I no. shared that on this podcast? Yeah, yet? do it. So I think, you know, sometimes as, you know, I don't know who all listens to this podcast, but I know that there are people that, like me, you know, have blinders on to the the plight of the poor, you know, actually what they deal with. Um, and I grew up in, you know, a, a white middle class, you know, uh, family in a suburb, everything was good. I didn't really want for anything, you know, and that's a very privileged place to grow up. Um, when I came to Chicago and got my graduate degree, one of the things that I needed to do was to do a practicum for a year. And so they basically placed you in a parish that, you know, and you interviewed at that parish and they placed you in ministry. So I was in back of the yards, which basically, if you don't know what that is, it's like back of the train yard. So wrong side of the tracks times 20. And I was at uh, St. Joseph on Hermitage. And it was, it's a, it's a, like to say it was a rough neighborhood is, is an understatement from what I learned while I was there. You know, I learned a whole lot about the whole uh, gang structure and how gangs grew and, and party crews and different things like that, that led to that. But what I, what I saw and what was, there were two things that I want, points I want to make is one, uh, I saw the valedictorian of their high school, a wonderful lady. She was a receptionist at the church. Um, really, a really good girl. I saw her go to the local community college and fail out. And it wasn't because she didn't try, you know? And so what, what that says to all of the people, all of the friends in that group, all of the kids in that neighborhood is even the smartest person in our group even our smartest person from this uh, neighborhood couldn't make it. So the only place that I have to go is the gangs. Wow. If I'm going to have any kind of income, it's going to be uh, this path, not that path. Um, so that was really, really frustrating um, to see. The other one is I was, I was trying to do a Bible study. So in ministry, those of us with this kind of lens on or this blinders on can do ministry in a way that does not reach the poor without intending it. So I got to do ministry in a, without any, like no, no real diversity socioeconomically, right? So they were all poor. They were all low income. And so when I, I read the Sunday's gospel and I said, what does that mean to you guys? No response. So I read just a verse or two. What does that mean to you guys? No response. I read one verse, no response. And I was like, what's going on guys? And they were like, well, what does this word mean? So it was, it was purely the definition, which again, shows me how much their school system is failing them, right? That they don't, they don't actually know the words that are being said in the gospel. So when they go to mass, they, they don't, they don't hear anything comprehensible. Now, if I had been in a group that was mixed with middle class, upper class and a lower class, who would have responded? 
the middle and upper class because they would have understood the words. So then the poor that were there would have moved on and, and not been able to and not been able to understand what was going on. And maybe even felt embarrassed to even be there. Exactly. And so then the next time we go and hold a Bible study, the poor are not going to show up. Right? Because yeah. I'm doing ministry through this lens or like behind with these assumptions of from a culture that I grew up in, right? That I understand. And I don't even realize that I'm leaving out the poor. Does that make sense? Yes. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Not everybody can gain experiences like that just by living life. But there are ways that we need to pay attention to, to the way that we do ministry, what we do at ministry. Am I doing ministry for white suburban America, middle class America, or am I doing ministry for everyone? And I don't even know how you gauge that. I mean, it's really hard. Well, is our church also a social club? And if it is a social club, and what is the underside of that? So, yeah, I can come to Mass as a poor person, but every other activity I can't participate in because the church ski trip is out of my price range, the parish retreats are out of my price range, vacation Bible school is out of my price range, you know, and, and you look at those things and you're like, okay, well, then we'll have scholarships available for those in need. But that's also a hurdle to be able to have to ask for that reality. And so how do we have programming that is... Uh, is is dynamically inclusive. And then and then you know like as a ministry leader you know that if you hold free stuff there's no buy-in from the people. And so then you have even less attendance because it's free and and there's a perceived value there. If it's free it must not be worth anything from a certain demographic or population, right? Yeah. 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 I would be I, interested to know because we like we recently we did uh, at a blaze, we did a big fundraiser to try to, and one of the, my thoughts was, hey, let's drop the price of all retreats down to 20 bucks so we can get as many kids there as possible. And all the youth ministers are like, but if we do that, then all the other kids are going to see that it's not of value, not of real value. They're not going to have anything invested in it. Um, no skin so, in the game, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's there's some sort of balance there, or I don't know. I, I hope other people have wisdom with regards to this because I don't work in a low socioeconomic parish. Now, there are no doubt low-income people that we do minister with, ministry with or ministry to. And I wonder if if we're leaving them behind, you know, in in the way that we do our programming, the way we charge for things, all that stuff. I just want to make sure that they're on the radar, right? So I I don't care if we do imperfect ministry. What I care about is that we're aware and that we hunger for that reality because I feel like, you know, uh that psalm strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Like as we hunger, like during Advent, when we hunger, like the Lord shows up. And if we're like, Lord Jesus, I do not know how to reach your poor people, but I desire to. I believe that a movement of the Holy Spirit will occur inside your ministry, inside your parish that will provide opportunities. Because yeah. it, it, it could look different. Chicago's going to look very different than maybe a, uh, a farming town that has yeah. a couple of very wealthy farmers and then a bunch of farmhands that might not fit that same demographic, right? Yep. Absolutely. But, but the parish is called to reach all of them. There's other things in regards to poverty that uh, are, are different than what this article talks about. But I think language, ethnicity could all be forms of different poverty, depending on how the uh, the structure of the city or the community that you're in is built. Uh, but but for our conversation today, like it's it's talking about wealth, specifically wealth. When we are in a consumer Catholicism culture, where consuming, getting sacraments and things of that nature uh, are important, and the sacraments are important. Um, 
What about those who are in a situation where every other consumer aspect of our society, they feel left out in? And then if we're like, you should come to this retreat and you should come to this, uh, you know, lock in and it's only $10 and it's only, you know, a, you know, $70 for a retreat, which for a middle class, that's not a huge hit. But for the lowest class, it's it's an impossible hurdle. Yeah. And, and you mentioned this before the show that, you know, sometimes even us as ministry leaders get frustrated when we see the lowest income people not investing in retreats, but investing in the newest phone. What you were just saying, though, it, it makes sense that I would invest in something that would basically show that I belong, you know, to people, you know, whether it's my clothing or my phone or whatever, it that helps me socially going on the retreat doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't do both, you know, so I, I wonder if that, you know, plays into it as well, as well. Like if I'm going to choose where to spend my money, you know, I don't know. I'm, I really don't know if that's the reasoning behind it, but. But we, but we see it, right? So I encourage my youth to wear their, their retreat shirt to school the next day after the retreat, right? And I think that that's a neat living witness, um, but it could also be a, Hey, kid who couldn't afford the retreat, look what I have, look what you don't. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's a possibility. We also see it in regards to sometimes I've seen the, the those retreats that have like secrets on it or whatever, like uh, the, some of the Curcio movement stuff. And, oh, you haven't been on this retreat yet. And so we can't talk to you about these things to where these retreat experiences marginalize people naturally because they uh, other people don't have that shared experience. And if the reason that they weren't able to attend the retreat is because of income, then how horribly um, distancing from the church do we create those situations to be? And how do we how do we bridge those gaps? You know, because like we said earlier, like we, there are ideas with regards to scholarships, lowering the price of the retreats, all this all this other stuff. But there may be some things culturally there that we are blind to. Like I said before, like in the example I gave earlier, there are things that I was blind to. And maybe this, like we absolutely need someone to help us with this as far as all ministry leaders to have a conversation about this online on our Facebook page, just to let us know what are we blind to? What is it that we don't see that is the the bigger hurdle to get over with regards to retreats? Like let's just say specifically retreats, getting kids like young people or getting adults to retreats. Um, because there's lost income there. Like if they like if they don't come to a retreat, then they're they're investing way more than the twenty bucks it costs to go to the retreat. You know, yep. because they're losing two and a half days of work. Right. You know. So I don't know what that looks like. You know, but there's there are things like that that we aren't seeing as to the cost that that it costs them versus what it costs a wealthy person. So for us, for ministry leaders, I really like to phrase things in the how might we type of questions, right? Instead of just the sky is falling, you know, there's there's income inequity, and we might not be doing uh, the best job. So how might we include poor people in our programming? How might we do outreach to those in, uh, in the lowest income bracket? How might we, and start asking those questions and finding those answers, let us journey with you in seeking those answers. Post them on our Facebook page, Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Just search it, and uh, it's a closed group, but we can discuss that post, how might we, dot, 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 in regards to this. Because I think that this is just scratching the surface. It's a desire that God has for our church, that our Pope has for our church, and uh, and I think sometimes, or often, it's a big blind spot. <laughs> because just serving the people that we have is a big enough task in and of itself. Absolutely. Well, great, you guys. Like I said, share this uh, conversation online. Let's continue this conversation online. 
Please send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, pray for the poor, and wrestle with this topic. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. Get to the chopper. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs>